Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Welcome back to the Mom Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chadwick and co-host is Chris Lucian. And uh, definitely we're really excited today to have Ryan Ripley and Todd Miller uh, to be talking about uh, Scrum and mob programming and uh, uh, I'll be introducing the topics here in a little bit, but before doing so, uh, let's hear a little bit about uh, you, Ryan and Todd. So starting with you, Ryan, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name's Ryan Ripley. I'm a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org. Been teaching the Scrum.org courses the last five or so years. Uh, a lot of it recently with uh, Mr. Miller here on the video as well. Um, prior to that, I started my career many, many years ago as a developer. Uh, became a project manager, straight up PMI, Pembok loving, waterfall project manager. Took a class with Ken Schwaber back in 2012, saw a better way of working and worked my way towards that. Went into management, leadership, executive leadership, and then gave all that up to become a scrum master again. Was a scrum master for a number of years and now a trainer. I guess that's me in a nutshell. Co-authored a book, uh, Fixing Your Scrum, Practical Solutions to Common Scrum Problems with uh, Todd. And now we are here before you because of, I think, an, a, uh, a YouTube video. So we've been all over the place. And uh, that's, I guess, me in a nutshell. Nice, nice. How about you, Todd? I can copy and paste a lot of what Ryan said there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, longtime developer. Uh, I did not go the project management path. I actually went product path and did uh, quite a bit of product ownership and then turned into Scrum Master uh, still coded all along the way, anything from C++, actually I have COBOL that's probably in production somewhere still out there. Uh, and now really kind of tinkering around with uh, and doing a lot of Python really just for side projects, but copy and paste everything else Ryan said. Cool. Nice. That's it for me. nice. Yeah, well, <laughs> you should have extracted a method for the differences. <laughs> uh, Maybe we'll work on that together in a mob here in a minute. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, very good. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good segue because uh, uh, on your show, uh, your daily scrum, uh, y'all released a, a video uh, talking about uh, 
Uh, mob programming in a scrum context should it replace code review. And uh, so with that started a, some conversations on Twitter with when Chris and I replied and on YouTube. And uh, we thought it'd be fun to continue the conversation here. So that's uh, what we'll be talking about today. And maybe get us started. Uh, what led you guys to uh, release that episode? Was there an event? Was there a trigger, a conversation, or, or what have you? You know, Ryan, I, I quickly looked this up. <laughs> and and yeah. we had, uh, I mean, I spent a lot of time looking this up. We, we actually had we actually had somebody um, a lot of what we do in our YouTube show is we ask people for comments and we, we try to reply to them. Now, it's, you know, context is king. So we look for themes and and, and we had we had a few people ask us where mob programming fits in or where code reviews fit in or where or where um, where uh, pair, pair programming fits in and, and, and how it fits in. And so we, we were triggered by somebody that said, uh, we have these code reviews, they seem a little bit legacy. It seems like it's taking a long time. Can I replace that with mob programming? And we felt like because we had seen this theme, let's take a crack at it and let's talk about it, right? Well, and we're also, we're also both really longtime fans of Woody Zool. And mm -hmm. so Woody is a very good friend and, and I've had countless conversations with him about mob programming and agility and and so it was, it's a topic that, uh, that we both enjoy already. Um, we're very familiar with your guys' work as well. Um, you guys have a, a great show around mob programming. Chris, I think we've accidentally spoken a few times online about these topics as well. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's just one of those, it, it seemed like, as Todd was saying, the theme emerged and someone asked, and, and we're, not, uh, we're not afraid to shoot some opinions out into the world and get some feedback. And fortunately... Uh, Chris, you gave some really good feedback, and uh, hopefully we can keep that uh, conversation going here. Nice, nice. Yeah, so Chris, what was your feedback there? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember now. Um, yeah, well, I, I think that, uh, you know, it was just a little bit in reply, because, you know, I think that there was like a lot of discussion of like, can mobbing replace uh, replace code reviews and and things along those lines. And so, I kind of replied with my like standard, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years, you know, mobbing. Um, we, we haven't been doing code reviews. Uh, you know, I, I think like one thing that um, maybe didn't come out in that is, uh, is that we, we, we do have like kind of a rule of, uh, you know, two pairs of eyes on any code. So like if somebody does go and work by themselves, they would do a code review, right? But if somebody's in a mob, then that doesn't need to be code reviewed and it gets into production right away. Um, and then I, you know, I talked about pairing dynamics and, and how, uh, sometimes, you know, I've heard, uh, a lot of, um, kind of feedback around pairing being much more exhausting than mobbing, uh, when, um, you know, maybe even on the, like the social interaction level, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good kind of all guided by retrospectives and stuff. So. Yeah, and maybe that, that would be a good, uh, way to pick up the conversation because that was one of the topics you guys hit in your show was, uh. Mary, uh, mob, mobbing and pairing is exhausting, so it shouldn't be done all the time kind of thing. And uh, yeah, was there any experiences or uh, things that have led you to that uh, conclusion? <laughs> yeah, so I, re really my start with this whole Agile thing was after reading Kent Beck's book, Extreme Programming. And yeah. uh, you know, at the time I was working in a, in a, in a shop where we were building an embedded control panel. And a lot of what we did, almost everything we did for the better part of two years, we paired. And I would be exhausted, right? Although it might come across because we do shows like this and it's over Zoom. I like, 
I prefer to like, I like alone time. I like my wife calls it Todd time. Ryan's familiar with this concept, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> my first experience in this sort of realm was pair programming and for an extensive period of time. And quite frankly, like I would walk out of the building, like ready to go to bed. I'm just so exhausted from it. And now what we produced was awesome. The quality was great. Uh, like, and everybody, there was this great amount of team feeling that we had, but we eventually after, after really the better part of two years arrived on that fact that we probably should do this. Not all the time, right? Maybe 50% of the time. And we actually landed on that. Now, again, we're being empirical, right? We, uh, we, we inspected what we did and we did it for quite some time. We were building a heck of a product and we're scared to change, which in and of itself is a problem, right? Or we've all been there, but um, that was my my first experience with with pair programming right right out of the gate. Well, I don't even know. I don't want to say how many years ago that was, but quite, quite some time ago. And that still sticks out to me. Cool. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan, do you have any pairing mobbing experience there? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly worked in a number of, of mob programming situations and I, and I loved it. Like, I, I think it's a great way to work, I think. Um, but we get a lot of questions about this too, right? And so people ask, you know, can we skip the code reviews? Can we skip UAT? Can we skip sprint review? Can we skip the retro uh, <laughs> if we're doing mob programming? It's almost like if we do this, can we cut, get rid of all the meetings? And 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 that was kind of the, that's that was my kind of entry point into the, the exploration of mob programming, right? So on our scrum team, someone said, hey, we're doing all this mobbing. Can we skip the retro? All right, let's take a look at what that looks like. And what we were finding was, and where my interest really peaked, seemed like in a mob, there's almost like this natural cadence of retrospecting about the work. And it just kind of emerges. And, it, and there's no, I, I don't have the hard and fast heartbeat of it. Sometimes it's every hour, sometimes it's every half hour, but there's usually like this pause of, hey, what we did here was really cool. Should this go somewhere else? Can we kind of extract this idea and put it? And you start having those, I think, technical type of retrospectives um, all the way through, which I thought was powerful. Um, and so it just led me on this kind of journey of what could we cut out of? What could what could it replace? And I think it's very contextually specific. Some teams, I think, need to still have a retro because there's outside considerations. There's edge cases. Some teams, they can... They can probably scale down what they're doing in a retro because they've talked, you know, constantly for the last 30 days. And, but I just, that, that was kind of my entry point. It was, how is this congruent with scrum? How does it um, play well? And, and I loved participating in mobs. Like as I've gotten older, um, as, as I moved more towards um, executive leadership and away from programming, my skills diminished, but I could still be a participant and still add some value right? Experience could still be injected, even though I didn't know the proper method calls or all the latest tricks that, that, that the kids were um, <laughs> coming up with, right? But you could still be an active participant, even though you're no longer on the cutting edge of tech, which I thought was really cool as well. Oh, no, that, that, that's okay. super awesome. And uh, maybe we'll return to the exhausting things. I want to get back to that, Todd. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love what you said, Ryan, about uh, every context is different. And uh, that's something we say a lot too, kind of uh, 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 going off of uh, Woody, which is, uh, hey, we're just sharing here. Every context is different. Experiment, inspect, adapt, find out what works in your environment, right? And um, and what's interesting is, uh, uh, maybe I'll tell a little story here, is I was at a uh, scrum shop and hadn't really heard of mob programming. And then someone who used to work with Chris was now working with uh, me. And I was explaining our, our scrum process and everything. And then 
it turned into me asking him a bunch of questions like, wait, wait, how do you do this? When do you retro? When do you do this? When do you do that? And what was fascinating was, um, at least in our style of mobbing, a lot of the scrum principles were there. They just showed up in a different way, right? You know, so like retrospectives, like you talk about was a uh, whole, you know, like a team might be two or three mobs. We still retrospect on a weekly basis all together, you know, right. as a whole team, like you might see like a typical scrum team do. But those mini retros do happen all throughout the day. Um, you know, sometimes informally, as you talked about, sometimes more formally, like, hey, for the next five minutes, let's retro what's going well, what's not going well, let's turn up the good kind of stuff. And uh, the sprint review, uh, there wasn't sprints, but uh, there's still this uh, meeting that happened at a often frequency to, hey, let's demonstrate what our value we're producing to the rest of the company and let's get feedback on it, right, kind of thing. And so um, that was a fun part of my journey is kind of seeing how the two worlds uh, work together. Um, well, your yeah. story, Austin, it really highlights, mm-hmm. and, and I think this is where a lot of the arguments are, ba- are rooted in. People yeah. believe that Scrum is a methodology mm-hmm. and thou shalt do X, Y, and Z. And that, that's just not the case. It's a framework, right? It has the, these ideas within it. Some of them are, I mean, the, the Scrum guide itself says that Scrum is immutable, but I think that's okay because it actually is a framework where mob programming fits in beautifully in between and around the spaces that the framework creates, right? I mean, you can, you can put this practice into place um, and still honor every aspect of the scrum guide, right? Without having to do these uh, crazy efforts or twist, you don't have to twist yourself into a pretzel to keep the two ideas congruent and together. Only if you view it as a framework. Now, if you're coming in with the methodology mindset, we have to use story points and we have to use user stories and we have to do X. Well, then yeah, this is not going to look great to you. But once you kind of shove all that stuff to the side and realize it's a very, it's a framework with a lot of space and air in between the elements, this all fits really, really well. And, and I think your story illustrates that. We did some, we did some mobbing. We would occasionally stop and, and, and validate some value and check in. We would occasionally stop and retro. But I, I, all I heard from you was scrum, 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 scrum. <laughs> I didn't hear anything that I would call out as like, a, a, you know, if I were the scrum cop, you would not get a ticket from me for anything that you just talked about. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, so, so. I think it's really the the piece of um, incorporating code reviews, right? Uh, yeah. And, and so, so like that that whole thing, I think, was just like a really interesting thing. So, so like I think code reviews were were injected into teams based on retrospectives, right? Like there were senior developers really concerned about what was going into the code base and, and, or, you know, by either other senior developers or themselves or junior developers. Right. Um, and so, you know, conceivably a lot of teams out there retrospected toward code reviews. Right. Um, and then I think the inverse of that, um, cause, cause, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of when we like merged our testing team into our developer team, because, we were, when, when we were first mob programming, the, the bugs kind of, the, the, the number of bugs that our testing team would find slowed to a trickle. Um, and, and to the point where they, you know, they were going multiple releases without finding any bugs. And so, so at that point, it was like, those, the testers there were kind of getting maybe nervous, like, you know, like, where's my place in all of this and things like that. And so then we're just like, come program with us, write the tests with us as we're doing quality control before, you know, before the code gets to you. Um, 
And, and so, and then at that point, we kind of retrospected away from having a dedicated testing team. Uh, and, and so like teams can retrospect towards code reviews and they can retrospect away from code reviews. And, and so, you know, like everything you were saying, Ryan, there was uh, that, you know, that kind of reminded me, it's like retrospectives can, can determine cadence of, of, of retros, cadence of sprints, uh, you know, story point, you know, using story points or not, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so that's like really an important aspect of it is just to pay attention to retrospectives. Oh, you know, I, I, I was uh, I was mentioning the exhausting part. I, I really yeah. want to get back to that because yeah, I yeah, think that what, you're, what you're, you're saying, Chris, is, uh, is is parlaying into what happened with this team that I worked with. We felt like it was too much and it was exhausting everyone. Yeah. And so uh, now you're talking about a, a code review um, that I've seen a bunch of times, which is to me is a bad practice with code reviews yeah. where it's hierarchical in nature. Right. Yep. You see in a lot of organizations, I check in a code review and a senior engineer needs to approve it. I think that's a terrible <laughs> practice. Right? It, it, it doesn't lend itself to self-management. It really doesn't. And it, it, it's almost degrading to to somebody. Right. I've met junior developers that know way more than me. Right. Um, so in any case. Well, and Todd, there's a presumption there. The senior developers, I care so much. I want to code review your code. You don't. But you don't care enough to partner with and collaborate right. with that developer and raise them up. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think there's a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, well, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm talking about this worn out um, thing. We are pair programming and what we, what we decided to do to be able to split some time with that is say, let's, let's do this code review thing, right? Let's do this thing where like I check in code and I need a review. And whenever someone's ready for a thought and everybody can get a break in what they're doing, raise your hand up or, you know, send a message or something like that and say, I, I like, I got this, I got Todd's code review. And so it was almost like a way of maybe post pair programming, because like we had this like thing in, in the office. I remember it like you'd stick your hand up if you were if you were like your thought was done with me like eight minutes. Right. Like because you interrupt that train of thought as a, as a coder. And it's like it's like an hour to get it back sometimes, sometimes a day. Right. And so we, we were arrived at this practice. And, and, and I've done this a few times with teams where the code review kind of as a supplemental, let's get some of your thoughts down on paper and then let's pair the rest of it. It's almost the way that, that I, that I viewed it. And, and now that was the context of a particular situation, going back to what Ryan said, where, you know, we have to use this stuff contextually, like Chris in your comment, we mob every day, all day. That's awesome. That, that might not work in the next guys, right? What yeah. I'm suggesting here, you might be able to pair program every day. You might not be able to do it at all. You might be able to find a, a way that blends the best of your environment together. And I thought that, like, I would kind of highlight that we retrospected around the people aspect of it while still keeping the sanity of a high quality code base intact, right? Yeah. And that's that's the utmost important thing, right? We're all we're all coding towards the same objective, and we all care about quality. Well, and I think even even that said, the if you're mob programming 24-7, which for some teams I think is an amazing practice, right? Fully, I, I love it. I think they should still stop and retro every once in a while about, are we actually getting what we expect out of the mob? Are we getting high quality? Are we getting zero defects? Are we getting, are, are we actually discussing the value aspect of the product with our product owner or product person? Uh, frequently enough? Are we validating value? Like we should still pause and say, is the mob delivering what we assume it does? And that's still like a valid retro uh, kind of question. Now, do you have to do that every week, two weeks, every month? I don't know. Like that's something to sort out, but I still think it's valuable to challenge the assumptions we're making 
about everything we're getting out of our mobbing practice, yeah. right? Well, I think it's a really important distinction that Todd made, which is that when we say code review, like a lot of the time, I you know, when I say code review in this context, I, I, I'm referring to um, what I think developers often refer to as drudgery of some kind, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, it's really important to point out that some of these practices end up receiving bad names because they're done in such a way that, you know, they've, they've been forced down onto people who didn't want to do them in the first place and they didn't get there on their own. Right. And so right. maybe there, there's some, some leadership piece here uh, suggesting that, uh, you know, that, that command and control type stuff can really be damaging if you're not careful. Um, well, I mean, that, that happens all over our industry, right? I mean, the word estimate is, is such a tainted word. There's nothing wrong with estimating effort. Yeah, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with planning that. Now, if your estimate immediately turns into a, a written in stone commitment and you're stuck, well, that's, yeah. that's a bad practice. And that's not a reason to throw estimation out the, out the window. But I mean, but we see those things happen. Code reviews, I think, like you're saying, Chris, are not necessarily the worst thing in the world. But when it turns into a trust thing, when it turns into a command and control thing, now people want to throw that away too. And I mean, the same is true for, for almost every, every aspect of our profession that gets kind of dumped on, that there's a, there's a really good intention and then a lot of bad application. And yep. we just got to be careful of those, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I could exactly. see, I could see it, Chris, and I could hear it in your voice. All the jaded experiences with code reviews. <laughs> oh, I hated them. Actually, I one of the worst situations in my coding career spawned from a bad application of of code reviews. Right. So our code reviews were so miserable, no one would would schedule one. And what what we allowed to have happen, and this was unprofessional on our on every program on every developer's part, and so we were all accountable for this. But it it was like three or four months before we could do a merge because no code had been reviewed. Do you know what happens after three or four months of 10 people working on a code? It's like we spent another six months cleaning up the aftermath of like the, the great merge, right? I mean, it, it was horrible trying to get everything, uh, all the conflicts resolved. And, and so, I, I mean, the bad application can lead to horrible things. And then it, it's easy to write a blog post that says, well, code reviews are horrible because it took us six months to resolve our code base. It's like, no. We did really stupid things, pretending that we were doing a smart thing, and that led to you know this horrible outcome. And so I, I think we have to be really careful around like those ideas too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the, there's there's so much devil in the details for any problem that's experienced, and to blame one thing is usually probably not the case. And what was interesting for me with uh, mobbing and code review is I had an incredibly positive code review experience. So I didn't come in jaded to mobbing yeah. from uh, jaded from code review. It's just that mobbing was like five times better than my code review experience. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I love what you said, Ryan, about like not mobbing for mobbing's sake or same with Scrum, right. Scrum for Scrum's sake. Like the heart of Agile is experiment, inspect, adapt, and you know make changes and see how it goes, right? And so um, we're constantly um, refining, like one of Chris's favorite is, is there equality of navigation or is it basically like, you know, one person dominating everyone else is just like, you know, the driver yeah. for them or whatever, right? And, and that kind of comes back to the exhausting thing. And I, I do acknowledge, you know, we not only mob program, which will cause uh, some people's blood pressure to rise, um, but we do it full time, you know, for the most part, um, because we have some hours for uh, dedicated learning. But we do acknowledge that it works really well for a lot of people to do this part time thing, right, where they part time mob, 
or they have Mob Monday or they do this kind of thing and they figure out what works for them. Um, but what's what's also interesting in is in our quote unquote full-time mobbing, there's a lot of freedom. So I was on a mob where someone would uh, go do solo for a while and then come back and bring back his research to the mob. And there's a lot of freedom. It's not like you since you work here and you work this way, you're you're you know you're chained to the desk with your mob and never leave. And you know, and so there's a lot of things that lead to exhaustion for how mobbing can be done. And it's kind of like what you're saying. There's a dark version of everything. And um, I guess if if it's not too inquisitive, Todd, I would like to learn more about your uh, pairing experience that was exhausting. So like. How was the pairing done? You know, what was the, uh, how was there a driver navigator? Was there breaks? Like, um, you know, what about it was exhausting exactly? Because and, um, any and all of the above, I think. You're right. Okay. So like, um, yeah, so I, I, it's different personality types, really complex product to build, a lot of stuff to navigate. So, I mean, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the, the pair programming, uh, but I think that that was a component to building a really difficult product, right? I mean, you're talking about an embedded control panel that was controlling machinery that if you didn't get it right, um, something wouldn't start, you would break a very expensive piece of equipment. And um, so I think there was some pressure with that. Um, but there was also this, like, I, I think maybe maybe uh, early interpretations on what it was. I, I don't know that there was easy invitations to, to leave and go do some additional research on the side, right? And I mean, not to date myself too much, but at the point in time, everybody has a desktop computer. It's not like you could show up and just be like, hey, give me like an hour. I'm just going to turn here and, and, and do some things. But, you know, I think... What, what, and when I'm starting to pick up, and this is truly my belief system with everything, is you've got different people everywhere all around the world and every organization and every de development team that can impact it, right? Um, you've got a different product that you're building in different periods about building a product, right? And there's people involved with building that product. product. So you could be at the start of a product and it's less stressful um, until you're like trying to deliver a, 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 a feature that a customer really is ailing for and you're struggling with it. So all these different components, I think, are so contextual. Uh, I just think back to that time for me in particular, and I've had times like that. Maybe, it's, hey, maybe it's just me, Austin. It could be. I am. I, I like and I, I don't I don't think I'm alone in, in the way that our, our industry operates. Right. Like that. I just need time to myself throughout a day. Right. And people people know that um, about me. People know that about anybody that's listening to this that has worked with me in the past is like yeah, this is Todd talking. Right. Um, uh, so I, I think that but I, I don't think that 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 quirk is is really just necessarily me. I, I think it's really important, though, that anybody listening to this is recognizes that recognizes that and has that oh. and that you offer that open space like you were talking about austin like you offer that that place where you can you can get up you can walk away you can leave for a little bit and it's totally okay it's safe to do that which i think is an aspect of mob programming which is which is pretty pretty awesome right well and we ran into that while writing the book right we um we would work together quite a bit but then there were just times where it's like i want to sit down and really think about this and not have the pressure of someone waiting for me to type something but I, I just need a minute to collect my thoughts and to think. And, uh, and so we, we would both do that, right? We'd be in the, in the lobby of some hotel, you know, in between, you know, while, while we were teaching somewhere, I don't know, we did a lot of writing all over the country and in airplanes. And, and that's really the only time you have to put that together. But, um, and there'd just be times where I'm like, dude, I'm going to go off and um, I'm going to go over here and just think about this topic. We'll, we'll pick it up tomorrow night. 
And that was just, that was great. And we, we both will do that. There are times where we get it like today, we got a ton of work done in a very short amount of time. And tomorrow I hope we're not, you know, spending another six hours on, on the same thing. I hope we're able to actually get a little like thinking in space time. And, and, uh, and I know Todd feels the same way. It's just, sometimes it's good to just be able to put your head down and think a little bit, but then bring that right back to the pair or the mob. And I, I like what he said there, the safety, right? If someone looks at, Oh, you're a loner. You don't want to be part of the team. Well then that's, that's no good, but it, that happens. Right. Yeah, there, there's definitely, uh, as anything, there's dark mobbing out there where sure, there's sure. a lot of uh, criticism, you know, either explicit or implicit, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're you're not mobbing with us all the time. Like, I've heard stories like that where there's kind of like clickiness starts and things like that. And so, and I think that's one of the things that pairing mobbing does is it really amplifies interpersonal, the good things that are happening and the bad things and makes you face them, right? And so um, if teams don't work through those issues, um, I remember um, one coach was saying that mobbing is like organizational psychology. So it's like he brings people into a mob and you just see the good things and the issues start coming out and he helps them work through it. Where if they don't, those things will, those things will continue to be bad, uh, whether you're mobbing or not, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's fascinating to me because um, the way we work, it's, it's very unique and extreme, but there's our, our, we have about 30 people and most of them are introverts and most of them love, you know, having time to think on their own and, um, and all those kind of things. But they, uh, what's interesting to me is that they all signed up for the experience to let's see how this works doing it full time. You know, what does it look to, what does it look like to turn up flow efficiency and those lean principles to the max and still respect people's personal preferences, you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. And so, um, and it's just been wonderful to see how, each person learns it, how to uh, do it. And every mob is different. Every team makeup is different. And, um, and uh, th there's a lot of resources I'll probably put in the show notes about tools for people who are more introverted in mobbing and things to do to help with that. And it's just a really uh, fun space. Um, that well, just... I mean, the world is complex and there's so many things that we think are true, but are not. There's so many counterintuitive things that are actually yeah. fact that you wouldn't expect. And so I think it's great when people kind of put down the, the blog posts and they put down the, the argument and you know what, they just try something, right? Yeah. Let's just try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something different. Like that's, that's what an agilist at, at its core, that's what we're supposed to be doing it. And it's always with the lens, at least uh, the way Todd and I typically look at it is the lens is, is this adding to or detracting from our ability to deliver, mm -hmm. right? And if it's adding to our ability to deliver, can we turn it up to 11? Oh, was 11 too high? Let's turn it back down to seven. But but let's make sure that the lens is always delivery. And if we have assumptions, if we have ideas, you know, in these situations, we tend to ask, how do you know? Right. So, oh, mob programming couldn't work here. How do you know? Like, what tells you that? Well, I don't want to do it. All right. That's different than it couldn't work here. And so then what's an experiment we can try? How do we prove or disprove? And I think if we stay open to those ideas, um, I think we can get a lot done. But again, the lens has to be, in my opinion, at least I won't speak for Todd, delivery. It's got to be, did this enhance or did this detract from our ability to ship? And if we're doing that regularly and we're tweaking the knobs and trying new things, how do you end up in a bad spot? You know? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, yeah, maybe the uh, call 
to action or call to experiment is probably the better way to say it is, uh, yeah, I mean, if there, there are experiments to run to maybe make pairing or mobbing less exhausting, and I invite people to try them out and, uh, you know, and see if it can replace code review, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but to run the experiment, and I think it's, it's a wonderful thing to try. And uh, maybe uh, I'll, I'll switch topics here, and uh, we started out with some, uh, you know, agreement and sharing, and maybe it might get a little controversial here, but um, so you, we were talking about before uh, the aspects of Scrum that do kind of um, align with um, mob programming really well. And then, uh, and I do agree with you, you said earlier, Ryan, where that you can take the framework of Scrum and sprints and all that stuff and then put mob programming in that, right? And it can work really, really well. Um, but I have also noticed this trend and um, is that teams that uh, tend to mob program a lot, uh, some of the Scrum stuff uh, does tend to fade away. And, and maybe we can talk about that now a little bit here. And we probably will run out of time. So this might segue into uh, me and Chris being on your show to pick up the sure. conversation, but maybe we'll, we'll generate the cliffhanger now. Uh, so one of those things that I noticed was, um, uh, at least in the practice of mob programming I've been doing, is sprint planning is one, and then uh, sprints in general. So it turned to, you know, so in my practice of mobbing, and mobbing doesn't dictate you can't do sprints or that kind of thing, but is that uh, there was no longer a time box, it was more just scope box, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we talk about what we're going to deliver for the day, we still have that stand up, um, we deliver it, and then the next day we do it again, you know what I mean? And so it's just kind of all... You know, I don't know if that's a day, that's like a it's, daily sprint, you know, but <laughs> I, I, honestly, awesome. What you just, just described to me there is a one day sprint. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, honestly, awesome. I, like I've worked with a whole bunch of different teams that do one day sprints, but you know, however, let's, let's kind of talk back to the root of what scrum is, right? right. The, the root of scrum is, is based off of empirical process control, guiding ourselves by experience. And the events in Scrum are deliberately designed for inspection points, adaptation points, and transparency, right? Mm -hmm. And so sprint planning, for instance, uh, um, uh, maybe your sprint planning is a little bit different than what your tool tells you what to do, right? Your tool tells you to load up a sprint backlog with product backlog items and move forth and go do great things. Maybe your sprint planning is just, hey, I think over the next one week that this is a goal that we can meet. Let's talk a little bit about how we're going to meet this bigger goal, because this one's really for the customer. And let's move forward and let's go, right? So maybe it's a way of rethinking something like sprint planning, rethinking what a sprint is, and kind of moving outside of what the tools tell us to do, because let's be honest, that's what happens a lot of times, or what our past experiences have been, and get really back to the root of what the Scrum Guide says. Like, let's use these as opportunities for inspection points, adaptation points, and transparency, and create transparency around things. And let's leverage the Scrum events in that way. So that's kind of the way I would do it. I think that you know, we're, it's funny because I feel like we've all been talking about these periods that we've, we've either had really good experiences or been slightly jaded. Um, by the way, I'm not jaded by pair program. I'm a huge advocate of it. Like, I love it. I've done it a million times. I've also mobbed. Like, I'm good with it. I love it. I just, I sometimes need a Todd time. <laughs> but I just, I keep, I keep thinking, like, um, let's get back and redefine what it is. We have a 14-page document, the Scrum Guide, right? Let's unwind all the practices and this experience we've had in the past and look at it for what it is. It's a framework for empirical process control. And that usually when we start there, when Ryan and I start having those conversations, people are like, oh yeah, we could, we could totally do that. I could see the need for that, right? Because um, it's explicitly de designed for that, right? Well, and, and what, 
where and usually where that conversation goes is well, people will say, well, we have to do this and we have to do that as part of sprint planning or part of the daily scrum. And I'm like, show me where it says that. Yeah. Where does it say that? Why can't we all get together as a mob at eight in the morning? I don't know. You guys, I think you all are on the West Coast, so maybe 10 in the morning. Right. You guys. <laughs> and uh, I'm just teasing. We love our yeah. West Coast friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe in the morning you get together and you say, this is what we want to achieve today. Sprint planning over. Go and now go forward and work in your mob. And maybe towards the end of the day, you might pull a product person in and say, hey, does this does this thing do what you wanted it to do? Is this making sense? Or, or maybe you pull them in before lunch, after lunch, and end it. You, you pick the cadence. So you've got your review set. And then at, at the end of the day, you say, how was the mob today? You know, it could be as easy as hitting a button. Or where Was I happy today? Was I sad today? Or am I feeling kind of meh? And you just actually met all of the requirements of the events, right? And if, as far as the daily scrum goes, if you pause at lunch and say, do we need to change course on what we plan to do today? Yes or no. And then you continue directionally, whichever way you decide, you just met almost 90, it's like 90% of the requirements. And I don't think you have violated anything in, in the scheme that I just laid out, but people yeah. have so much baggage that they, they can't let go of, right? They do. And Ryan, you're just reminding me, like, you know, you have those mornings where you're just like, man, that morning was awful. <laughs> like, let's hit the reset button. <laughs> yeah. Or you have those mornings where you're just like, more of the same of that, please. I'm not even doing lunch because this is awesome. Right. I'm in it. Like, how many times have you like, I, there's been times where I like, I, I remember having like a bag lunch and I'm like, I should really eat my lunch. It's 4.30. <laughs> right. What happened to time, you know? So like, I, but I think that just building in that inspection point, uh, instead of hanging on because it can say, oh, we going from, wow, we should just erase this morning and start over going from that and just being hanging on to that and being like, this is a whole week, right? Just that moment, that pause, yep. right? To say, what are we doing? Is this good? Is there something blocking us, right? Um, maybe looking at how something's aging, looking like you were mentioning flow, flow, right, Austin? Looking at those kinds of diff finding different things we can inspect upon so that we can adapt just that very moment could be enough, right? Well, and someone's going to show up and say, but that's the scrum guide says, and first yeah. of all, it probably doesn't. And secondly, <laughs> if it's around, if it's around, uh, well, this is an eight hour event. Look, time box means not to exceed. You can stop early. Mm -hmm. And so you're not violating any time rules on a one day sprint. You're, I mean, you can literally make it as simple as what we just talked through. You can still be um, you know, all right and good with the scrum guide, you can still have all that great flow and mob programming and ship something awesome each and every day. And it, it just takes a little bit of creativity, a little bit of thinking to Todd's point, getting back to that root of empirical process control and then doing smart things, not dogmatic things, right? Let's just, let's get something shipped by the end of the day. And let's, whatever's preventing us from doing that, strip that piece out and uh, and not try to get too ceremonial or dogmatic about it, and some really awesome things can happen. Yeah. I think uh, I think a lot of the time, where, you know, I, I'll run into a lot of Scrum uh, pra practitioners, and they describe to me what they're doing, and I'm like, that sounds like exactly the the prescribed way to do it, word for word, out, out of a book, right? Yep. And it's like, but they talk about retrospectives, and and doesn't it stand to reason that your retrospectives should have modified some of those rules in the last five, 10 years that you've been practicing Scrum? We, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the framework is so light that 
your retros should be teaching. I think a lot of what sh could or should happen, I, I want to be careful with the word, you, you pick the word you're okay with, but could or should happen is addition by subtraction, mm -hmm. right? We should be stripping things down to its, its barest frame, the barest framework possible while still having the lens of delivery. And if you're not stripping things down and challenging ideas and, and trying experiments, then what are you doing in your retro? Like, wh what is happening? Like, addition by subtraction, I think it's one of the most powerful things a Scrum team can do. And if they can get down to that bare bone understanding of Scrum, but really understand the empirical underpinnings, then everything we've talked about, the one-day sprint with, that's, you know, with, with a very mob-centric viewpoint, it, it, it works beautifully. It's in line with the framework. And uh, I think it can lead to a lot of great deliveries. So hopefully people change their thinking on this a little bit. Yeah, it's it, you You can do a retrospective and you can change the way you work. And so I think that uh, I, I have that same question about retrospectives and like, what are you doing in your retrospectives then? And it's always things like, you know, uh, should should Joe talk to the database uh, admin or not, uh, or or put in a ticket, right? Like stuff like that, where it's like let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch more. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just like stuff that um, that skates around the, yeah. the 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 main the core of the processes, and, and so often I think that the core of the processes should be the focus. And then if those things are good, then broaden the scope afterwards. Right? You know, it's yeah. interesting, Chris, because you saying that makes me think that I think um, mob programming probably lends itself to more open and honest retrospectives, mm. right? Um, because I, I think that there's, a, there's a, so we, we fall back on the scrum values, right? Um, openness is really difficult. Uh, we, we view openness as the willingness to accept other people's ideas. Right. And then courage, the willingness to share your idea with people that may not agree with you. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that um, after some time and having a deeper understanding of the way people work, rather than just handing things off, that you really open up yourself to that kind of feedback and, uh, and enable. Now, I say the, the good stuff, not the, not the awesome, would you call it dark mobbing? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like not that stuff. Um, I think that could probably uh, be counterproductive and shut it down. But but ultimately, I think that uh, when Ryan and I look at behavioral, uh, behaviorally how teams are operating, we think of the, the five scrum values and, and it lending itself to, to, to better enabling the, the behaviors and ultimately, right? But we're all here for is we're professionals, right? Deliver, right? Deliver. Yeah, and there's going to be disagreements, right? And I think the, the path to respectful disagreement you know, using the values that, that Todd mentioned is that openness aspect. Are you open to the, to the idea that you're wrong? And if you're not open to that, none of this is going to work well for you um, because there are times where every person on the planet will be wrong and they're going to need a team to help them find a better way. Like every person on the planet is wrong at some point in their life. For us, it's, it's multiple times in an hour, yeah. right? I mean, it's going to, but that's the beauty of a mob. There's someone else who has a great idea that can help you see a different way of thinking. And then over, and so that's the, that's the thing there. It's, there's going to be disagreements all over the place. But it's that respect and openness and that courage, you know, the scrum values, that behavioral aspect that, that brings us back into, into harmony and that uh, really allows these things to, to sing as well. So maybe mob also, programming, maybe those yeah. values can really enhance the way that mobs work. And, and I think it also allows us the best shot at building the right thing. Right. Yeah. And building the right thing well. Yeah. Right.
build the thing right uh build it right yeah build the right thing and then build it right yeah and uh yeah yeah that's what i was kind of going for austin but i totally lost the quote uh, <laughs> no, I, I think i said it wrong anyways right now so <laughs> uh yeah and, you know what? i love this i love where this landed because i thought i was like throwing the grenade for you know oh, some no. respectful disagreement here but it was, it was fascinating to see that a lot of the scrum values and at core what the heart scrum is about is really embedded in 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 the way where it quote quote unquote fades away where it really didn't fade away it just shows up differently and that and that's kind of what I observed and what I love about um, I being in uh, kind of the Scrum training I started with and then bringing that to mommy is it brought a lot of those values you're talking about like respectful disagreement and those things are so key uh, to any team and I think mobbing makes you forces you to deal with it in a in a, in a way and um, I really love what was said about um, the, the courage to change the process, right? And I even see this in a mob programming context where people are like, I don't know if we can change that because that's how we always have mobbed. And it's like, no, 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 we can we can change this stuff. And so I love to hear that. I have more questions, but I'm guessing it'll pick up in the next thing because I think we're starting to hit our time box. Like, you know, in sprint planning or planning, do you pick which ones to mob and not? But Chris, I know I'm out of time, right? So, yeah, yeah, uh, we are this. out of time. So uh, <laughs> we will pick this up on uh, on uh, Ryan and, and Todd's show. So uh, and we'll put a link to that and we'll make sure that we go there. Um, but uh, before we end, Ryan and Todd, do you guys have anything that you'd like to plug or share before we close out the episode? I want to say that I can't wait to talk to Austin about that specific thing that he just talked about. <laughs> so check out our show. <laughs> you know the, the, yeah the only thing that i think we'll plug here is uh since it was our your daily scrum youtube show that sparked this uh, we hope you head over to uh youtube.com slash agile for humans and check out the uh the channel and uh check out the episodes there's i think there's over 300 episodes of your daily scrum now lots of questions have been asked and answered lots of good knowledge out there and uh we hope it's just helpful to the community we it's done for free Right. So it's uh, it's one of those that we hope people are getting a little bit better each and every day. Awesome. Thank you. And and yeah, in this episode, like uh, to, to our audience members out there. Um, oh, actually, Todd, do you have anything that you wanted to share besides that? Copy and paste it. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, so so to our to our audience members out there, um, if you know somebody that maybe is doing from the way that it's always been done and they don't have this idea that they could retrospect on things that they do uh, from a process standpoint, um, then maybe uh, share this episode with them. And uh, and then also if somebody's doing code reviews and, and is experiencing the drudgery, right? It doesn't have to be mobbing is the answer, but maybe there there is another way, right? And so share this episode with them, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and all that. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for joining us. And thanks, Ryan and Todd. Yeah, thanks for having us. Bye, everybody. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.